0: It's impossible to know the future. But if things happen, slow down, it helps to be prepared. This is Money Talks.
1: We're back.
2: I'm Troy Harmon here with Nick Antonucci. And okay, uh, we have um, again Dr. Roger Tutterau on with us today, and we do not want to miss the opportunity <laughs> to uh, pick his brain about economic activity or lack thereof or various uh, uh, conditions. Uh, so we've got a, a situation we want to talk through. Really the stock market's recovered and I use that also in air quotes uh, from the coronavirus shock and it's trading at January 2020 levels. As we just noted, market's up about 1%, a little more uh, year to date. Portfolios have bounced back and investors are cautiously optimistic Um, while still defensively positioned, many of them, um, you know, and probably for good cause. Uh, But the Federal Reserve has promised to uh, use all of their tools, their full range of tools to help the economy recover. Uh, But we got second quarter GDP. Nick mentioned it earlier. Uh, We got it this week down 32.1%. Yeah, ouch.
1: Well, but generally, it was, it was within the range was expected. Forecasts were from down 25% to down by 40%.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, one of the things, and we knew the number was going to be horrible. We knew there would be a big shock effect. But let's put something in context. When you're hearing that number, that's a seasonally adjusted, here's the key component, annualized rate. Right. So it doesn't mean in the second quarter we produced 33% less stuff. What it means is, in the second quarter, we produced about nine and a half percent less stuff. Yeah. And when you go down nine and a half percent, and you and you convert to annualized rate, you get that big number of 32.9. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're not we're not taking anything away from just how horrific the number was, other than to say that it was expected, and that you're likely going to see some numbers for the third quarter that are going to be you know not that not up 32 percent, but they could very easily be up half that or more. And so we just have to kind of look as a a, a kind of a a trailing several quarters here, because even within the second quarter, April and probably the first two-thirds of May were horrible, but I think that the data shows that we started seeing the economy do a little bit better in June. Right. And so I think when the when the July data comes in in August, which will make up a lot of the recovery in the third quarter, the numbers will look a little more favorable. I think the outlook for getting GDP growth to be down about 6%, give or take one, for 2020 is still pretty much in play. Yeah. yeah. So anything's anything's knock that aside.
2: Yeah, it seems to be the consensus at this point, around 6% negative for the year. We went into the year with about, I think most of the numbers I'm seeing or was seeing was around 3% expected growth. Uh, yeah we were more modest you
1: know we had we had called for i think 1.9 we actually said yeah. gdp growth would be a little bit more moderate in 2020 because of some pullback in multifamily some concerns over the motor vehicle industry probably pulling back a yeah, little bit
2: it, it was trending yeah. negative it it fell off a cliff though and yeah, oh, uh, yeah nobody
1: yeah. anticipated what happened in february march
2: yeah yeah absolutely um so the stock market has hasn't you know seems to have bounced back. And a lot of people are sitting scratching their heads. And you know, I mentioned Nick and I do the same thing, but probably the the biggest thing that you have to understand about the stock market is it is forward looking. And uh, you know, given, given the fact that we do have some ugly, um, ugly numbers that have been reported just in the last week and continue to be reported. I mean, unemployment is still above 10%, 11.1, I think it was at the last measure. Um, you know, people aren't back to work yet. Uh, there's still grief. We have uh, coronavirus, which is the one piece that none of us can forecast what happens with that next. Uh, I guess until we get a vaccine, you know, nothing's nothing's complete. Now, there are companies that are telling us possibly September getting some vaccine to the market. But I I think that that just seems, is probably what more like first pretty quarter. unlikely.
1: Um, the Most likely trajectory. And again, I'm not an epidemiologist. Uh, I'm not don't even play one on radio, but right. <laughs> it does look like, you know, they're making some progress towards some therapeutics. Right. It's possible that you will you will fast track a vaccine before the end of the year. Um, the problem with viruses is always that, uh, of course, they have the ability to mutate. Right. right. And it's unclear as of yet, at least with COVID-19, how long the the antibodies would hang around and so how right. long you would be have, you know, uh, be immune essentially from reinfection.
2: Yeah. And since so, that is truly what caused this, uh, you know, I could argue valuations were s- stretched in the right. uh, stock market and various other things going into this, but the, the true trigger without a doubt has been COVID and the forced shutdown of the economy.
1: Right. And and, and that's a great point is that when we analyze COVID in the economy, you got to remember there's the forced component, government mandates on shutdown. And now we're dealing with how households and businesses alter their voluntary behavior, and there's still a lot of households that aren't returning to the restaurants or being very cautious about shopping and retail, and that is not government mandate. That's confidence, because it's it's going to have to come back. But I think you and Nick make a great point, which is that stock markets are forward-looking. It's uh, the S&P 500 is one of the ten leading economic indicators, and so the the market collapsed very, very fast as the news of the COVID came back, and it's come back to some degree. But the other thing to remember is when you've got a Federal Reserve that has pushed short-term rates down to zero, when you had a ten-year bond, as we were discussing, we're discussing off-air, that's at about 1.54. Uh th- that means that you're virtually guaranteed some stimulative effect for the equity market. And certainly right now, if you're sitting out there and you're shopping around to find a bank C D that's gonna pay you anything, good luck with
3: that. Yeah. yeah. And that's the that's a thirty at a one five four. The ten year at fifty at fifty four bips. You know right. it's even yeah, lower. It's, right. I'm sorry, I may, may misspoke.
1: Yeah. Fifty four bips on the ten. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh you know, you've got you got a lot of uh, pieces that are working together some for us some against us uh even if you look um you know at the numbers we were talking about coming into the show um we uh we had talked about uh how technology had done so well and energy had done so poorly uh technology's demand has actually increased yeah because nobody's close to each other you still want to work uh companies like uh Microsoft with their teams uh and companies like Zoom, where you know you can hop on a video call they they have done well and and for cause, but then you look at energy and nobody is driving right. you know they right. didn't for a while I know uh some of the recent uh data that i've seen and they're using uh interestingly enough they're using google um, Google um maps to determine whether or not People are using that uh, map app sure. for driving directions or transit directions, various things. Transit is still just flatlined. lined. Uh, walking has improved from its early, you know, uh, January, February, March times uh and uh if you if you look at uh, driving it's getting back but it's not 100% back I mean you can even, even
3: just locally like you any of us who've been out and about you you can definitely see it you know I drive home during rush hour every day uh, back to the city and traffic has definitely picked back up from from where we were you know just a month two months ago yeah. but uh it's still nothing like well, what, what you experienced because you know everyone still for the most part has that option of of telecommuting
2: Yeah I know in Georgia we had um, the stay-at-home order went away May 1st. And if you were out prior to that, any, you would notice a huge difference on May 1st. Right. It seemed like, you know, we were back to the races. Um, but I think even some of that has tapered a little bit since uh, – You know, since we have seen a a resurgence in in the number of cases, even locally in Georgia.
1: I'm confident this time next year, you'll be sitting on 285 in traffic for hours. Bumper to bumper, yeah. And you'll be yearning for the days of yesteryear. That's right. 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 Well,
2: yeah, the thing that I ponder, and and we can talk about this in a few minutes, I think we'll take a break real quick. But uh, the the thing that I would like to uh, think about is how much is this a forever change? I think some people are not going back to the office.
3: Yeah, I'd also like to talk about, you know, the employment situation. We got that released next Friday, so I think it's worth touching on as well.
2: Roger, when, uh, you know, when we were talking, we we talked about, uh, you know, various things, things we know, things that have been reported. Um, So my question is, what about... What comes next? I mean, do we go back to normal? Is this a game changer? Does this change forever?
1: Yeah, I think there are aspects of business that probably will change permanently. I think we have educated an entire generation for how you conduct business and how you live your life remotely. Uh, I have friends that are in the professional sales arena, and they will tell you that They realize how much time and travel funds they save with with these meetings that are done through Zoom or Teams or whatever. I think a lot of that changes. In education, obviously we're going to, uh, we're going to use the technology more aggressively than we have in the past. I think healthcare, all the professional business services arena. I'm sure you guys schedule meetings now that you use Zoom on with clients. Absolutely. You've yeah, yeah. done face to face before.
2: Daily. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, We've done a lot of that.
1: And it, it, the, the jury's still out, but it's hard not to believe this will have not only big implications for retail, but Class A office space. Because you, you, you're not going to, you may not need the same number of square feet per employee if we do more telecommuting and more more uh, more remote um, meetings. So yeah, right. it's going to be interesting. To see. Now,
2: one thing that I've noticed is it seems like young folks, at least, uh, really prefer what we're doing now. You know, not right. having a commute, uh, being at home, maybe working in their pajamas. At least the pajama bottoms, if they're on a Zoom call, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, You know, so it it seems to me that there's going to be a little bit of resistance for them to get back in the office. But uh, I have noted that uh, there are a lot of salespeople who would rather be in front of you. Uh, You know, they'd rather have the face to face meeting in person, shake your hand, talk to you in that manner. Uh, And not only that, but uh, trainers, people who uh, train uh, individuals within a business, say that there are certain things that uh, you just can't. Right. relayed to the next generation, to the, you know, to your younger employees. Uh, and and it seems to me like one of the major losses could be, you know, if you have some sort of a, a special environment that you've created within your business, uh, the culture could be lost
3: right. uh, through a stay at home. Yeah, and I, I think part of that is just due to the fact that You know, we all grew up in an education system where you were present. There wasn't until, you know, later in college for me, there wasn't online learning. You couldn't take online classes. Right. So we grew up being face to face with people. I think, you know, the younger kids now that are in elementary school, if they grow up to this digital learning, it's there's not going to be such a a huge, uh, I guess whether there's a decline in education from switching the methods or what, but if that's ingrained in them, it's not going to be, you know, they're not going to think twice about it. Whereas for me, if I had to go to college right now, online only, it would be a struggle because I just I'm used to the in-person learning. I, I I take to it better that way. And it would be a significant adjustment for me to make.
1: But you know Whether it's education or it's professional business services, I think what will come out of this will be a hybrid. You'll still have some face to face meetings, but you'll learn how to use technology to lever that. Sure. And, and I, for one, you know, we taught online at KSU this summer mm-hmm. and some of the classes will be online. Some will be face to face in the fall. And so we develop materials that I think will use them even in face to face classes. So I think that, you know, the business sector is going to follow the same thing. You know, a good example, a friend of mine lives in Milwaukee. He sells industrial equipment. Typically, the sales guys would get together in Detroit about every three months. Now they can do Zoom. They save a 1000 bucks travel in two days of time. Yeah. yeah. So some huge efficiency gains to be had there.
2: Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, uh, you know, as, as far as... Um any other items that uh, that you wanted to talk about as well, far as economics and one, the
3: stock market? One thing we kind of touched on off-air that, that, that I want to talk about a bit is the employment situation. You know, we have a jobs report next Friday. Um, again, it's gonna, expected to be pretty significant increase in jobs added. I think we had, what, 4.8? Yeah, 4.8 last you time. 2.5 is expected right. for uh, July. Right. So, continued improvement, but we're seeing continuing claims uh you know 17 million continuing claims 1.4 yeah. uh, million new claims every week and then something we've noticed is you know continued headlines of of layoffs in, in big corporations permanent layoffs these aren't furloughs yeah and i just can't help but think that sure you're seeing improvement, you're seeing jobs added back monthly but is there going to be a stall in that And at some point this employment data is going to turn back negative again
2: yeah, it's hard to say, but I do know one thing. Uh, I have heard instances, and this might just be, you know, some uh, some coincidence that's unique to me, uh, but I, I don't think it is. There's a lot of folks that were getting that extra $600 uh, from the government yeah. for being unemployed. That just ended. Uh, I know there is a, a bill being proposed maybe mm-hmm. to spend another trillion dollars, uh, which we can get into the who, who pays for this right. later. But, uh, you know, there there is a proposal to extend that. We also have, uh, you know, we've got uh, loan, uh, not loans, but uh, yeah. Forbearance, gun,
3: mortgage forbearance. And, yeah. and,
2: and also student loans as well.
3: Forbearance, yeah. Right. And,
1: and and there's the PPP loans, the part of that that will actually can be forgiven. I right, think there's still right. some, some ambiguity there in terms of the minds of both some borrowers and lenders. But you had a great point. When you're getting an extra $600 per week, $2,400 a month, there are a lot of there are employees, particularly in, in hospitality and in retail, that actually got a pay raise with right. their unemployment benefits. And when those go away, even if their old jobs are offered back to them, it's going to it's going to change the dynamic a little bit. It's going to be interesting to watch, shall we say. Yeah. But but Nick's point on forbearance is so important because we're going to find out um, how well we can actually service the debt, because so far we haven't seen big issues in terms of delinquencies on debt because the forbearance it's going to hit mortgages but don't think about commercial real estate yeah i mean what are you going to do if your tenant doesn't want to pay rent are you going to kick them out when you're unlikely to have another tenant to replace them for a while so it's creating some some really challenging dynamics i think out there yeah so that forbearance cliff may be every bit as important as the fiscal cliff when it comes to fruition
2: yeah, and we saw, you know, fiscal cliff raised a, a whole lot of stink in the in the media. Uh, they ultimately got that straightened out back. What was that? 2011 that we had the fiscal cliff.
1: Yeah, well, with this in this use, we mean when the fiscal support programs, such as, all right, enhance Unemployment benefits go away. So
2: the modern fiscal yeah, the, cliff, right, if you as will.
1: opposed to the the yeah. one for the debt ceiling. Yeah,
2: <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, uh, it, when when uh when you think about all of that. What does the economy look like to you? I mean, do you have fears then going forward?
1: You know, I do. I think consensus outlook is that you'll get 6% or 6% contraction sure. in the economy for the year. Now, if you pull all the math together, basically we dropped about 20% annualized rate in the first half of the year, right. 5% and then 33 And And uh, second half, I think you're going to get a good third quarter. You're getting a bounce back effect. Fourth quarter, I think, could be a little bit more uh, more of a gradual increase or move sideways. But you cannot rule out the possibility of another leg down. When, when, when the forbearance cliff goes by, when the fiscal cliff goes by, uh, if we have another infection and we forget that we had at least three, maybe even four rounds of the Spanish flu between 1918 and 1920. Right. And so we, you can't rule out another um, pandemic-induced
3: contraction. A lot yeah. of uncertainty right now. And, and pair that with the fact that it's an election year. Oh yeah. Well,
2: you know, 1918 was an election year, but it was midterm and it was uh right. you know, there was um there was uh some jubilation after the election because the party in power were the Democrats and they had been uh, holding Congress for 10 years prior to that. Right. Uh they lost both party, both the uh, house and the senate, so to the Republican Party. Uh there was a big uh party after that and there was also a huge wave of new cases of right. the Spanish flu. Right. Uh, so, you know, anytime you see uh, jubilation in the streets, right. uh, positive, yeah. negative, whatever it might be, uh, these days it, it, you better watch it. And, and it uh, flows both ways. There's no doubt cases.
1: that the pandemic has changed some of the approval ratings and the likely it's outcome of the electoral trajectory for this year,
2: yeah, no doubt, and uh, that'll be a good spot to to pick up in the next segment, I believe uh because there is a lot to consider uh on a change in uh, uh regime if you want to call it that so uh one thing, Nick, you brought it up uh so I'll uh blame it on you, but uh this is an election year um we've got a president with an approval rating of around 38%, I think, if uh, if my numbers are correct. Uh, and who knows about that? I mean, polling data has not been the most reliable for a while. Uh, we've had a stock market that fell more than 20%. In fact, almost 34% in March. Either one of those things, we have never seen historically the sitting president reelected. However, this is so different because the recession that we've seen was not caused by actions of the president uh his approval rating uh, arguably you would say yeah okay maybe that one's on him but uh you know we've also seen the stock market recover from that 34% loss in march um and and i think anyone who's reasonable is not blaming the the economy on the president so uh we we get a real odd feeling i think probably the best thing you can do Uh, One of the most reliable indicators is the stock market when it comes to
1: elections. Well, that's one of the old adages is nothing matters as much on the election day as the price of bread, so the economics matter. I think we've got to be careful. In 2016, we learned how hard it is to anticipate how the actual electorate turns out. Sure. Uh, I think that President Trump certainly has a bit of an uphill battle at this point. Sure. Um, but fundamentally, you know, there's there's basically five or six states that are going to, depending which way they break, uh, you know, it's Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, and those are really the states that are going to determine who wins the White House. I mean, I think um, it, a couple more worth noting. I think that that um, Arizona was a state that President Trump won by a decent margin, but the demographics changing there kind of put that in play. Uh, Pennsylvania is a state that he won by a thin margin um, in part because it didn't the Democrats did not run up the margins in the Philly suburbs that they typically do and that's also a force unfortunately for President Trump that's where Joe Biden's kind of from that I 81 corridor and, and 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 he runs pretty well with blue-collar workers so right. I think he I think President Trump will have his hands full in Pennsylvania uh, with Vice President Biden now, as for which way Florida goes uh, Wisconsin uh, North Carolina will, will still remains to be seen.
2: And the one thing it's not being talked about as much as I think it should be is it's not just up to the president whether or not we get uh, passage of bills. you got to have the Senate. Right. And the Senate still belongs uh, to the Republicans. There are a lot of Republican seats up for grabs yep. this year, though. Right. And there's what, like, you know, if they, if they go, uh, if Biden did win, then you have to have three Republicans defeated to get uh, to the vice president who would be the deciding factor.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, right now it's, I think the general handicapping is that um, there's a good chance Alabama will flip from D to R. Right. Um, It looks like Colorado and is likely to go R to D and um, Arizona, Martha McSally is running behind Mark Kelly by a significant margin. But the real question is going to be, is the states of Maine and North Carolina, uh, which were Susan Collins in Maine and Tom Tillis in North Carolina, and then Joni Ernst in Iowa. Those are three states that I think, the Republicans, if they carry them, uh, then they they will maintain control of the Senate. Right. Uh, and of course, the Senate matters um, not just because you have to get bills through both houses of Congress, but it has the the power to confirm uh, federal appointees, including uh, judges. Right. So that's going to be that's going to be a lot. I think at the end you'll see a lot of money plowing into key Senate races.
2: Yeah. Uh so, and I think we're already seeing some of that because uh, you know there has been some conversation as to whether or not Georgia had a Senate seat that was up for grabs. Right. But I think that's uh probably somewhat a long shot still at this well, point.
1: Well, I mean I think it could it could break it could break either way, but I think that the Republicans are in pretty good shape in both of those seats. I would remind people two things. We're sitting here today it is the 1st of August, right? And uh you know in in eternity electoral politics or three months is an eternity in electoral politics, and typically races like presidential races tighten up until maybe forty eight hours out and so I think you will probably see this tighten up uh We don't have a running mate for uh for um Vice President Biden yet. And so there's a lot of interesting things that will happen and debate performances if we sure. have them, possibility of a vaccine or more aggressive therapeutics. So there's a lot to be figured out between now and early November. Yeah. Is I it typically this late that? in
3: in the election that you've announced your your running mate?
1: Well, you know, of course, in, in the I don't, I don't know. Yeah. If you go 40 years, 50 years ago, you actually had open conventions in terms of selecting who the running mate would be. Uh, in fact, if you remember 1980. Um, going into the Republican National Convention in in Detroit, there was no running mate. Bush came out of that after the kind of, you know, they they flirted with the dream ticket of Reagan Ford. And so this whole announcing of your running mate before the conventions, I think, is a relatively new phenomenon.
2: Yeah, so um, uh, the other thing I guess we should say is, uh, you know, historically, we've seen the stock market do better under a Democrat presidency than we have Republican. However, when the the balance of power changes from Republican to Democrat, in every instance, you see a pretty significant pullback in the market. Uh, you know, going into the to the next few months.
1: Yeah, the old folk folklore was that the stock market does better under Democrats, the bond market does better under Republicans. But I hate those kind of generalizations. Sure. Uh, but but I do think it is worth acknowledging. That if the Democrats take both controls of houses of Congress and the White House, you will see some significant changes in fiscal policy. I think Mr. Biden's been clear that he wants to revert back to obama era income tax rates right, and you could actually see a less favorable uh, uh capital gains tax environment, which is right. a big deal for your for your for your uh, readership
2: yeah no yeah. doubt and and that uh that proposal I believe that you're talking about with capital gains would revert back to where it is basically your marginal tax rate uh from what I've understood. So uh there are there are definitely some, some things to watch. Uh the one thing I would say is uh again that you know the market indicator that's that's been a little better than uh, most others uh, last time. I look at predicted a lot. It's a website that you know right. you can go on and and uh, bet on Politics of of all things, but uh, November first of 2016, 82% chance that we were going to have Hillary Clinton right. as a president. Right. Uh, obviously, it didn't go that way. This this moment, we're about 62% for a Biden victory.
1: Yeah, and I mean in the other market that actually predates predicted is of course the University of Iowa's electronic market, um, and and it also had it, it had President Trump being elected. Uh, at 3 a.m. the day after the election. So clearly, a lot of people were fooled. <laughs> How timely. I, that's exactly right. Yeah. One, one more comment on taxes, if we can. Um, if you see Democrats take control, you are like either party could revisit the cap on state and local tax deductibility, which is a, a big deal. Uh, for some from higher net worth individuals or people that live in high property tax states. Uh, but the Democrats, certainly the states where the, where the, the $10,000 deductibility cap was the most onerous were places like New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, Illinois, California. Right. These are blue states.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you would uh, potentially see the, the reversion to that. All right. Uh, well, we'll... Uh Take a real quick break here. When we get back, we'll talk some more finance, economics. Stick around and listen to the money talks.